In thinking about this topic of re reconciliation, <clears throat> I was reminded that in other places in the scripture that we'll read, that this is a huge, big, sometimes seemingly impossible thing that God has done for us. And in the Sermon on the Mount, which opens the door to this word, this thought of reconciliation, there is so much that has already happened that's behind what Jesus is saying. And so today I want to do three things. I want to look at this big picture that's found in Scripture of reconciliation. And then I want to look at the fact that it's so big that God wants to work in and through us to be His agents of reconciliation. And then we will come and rest upon what Christ has given us as a personal example of reconciliation. I remembered in a book that was written by Philip Yancey many years ago, some of you probably had read it, came out a good while back, What's So Amazing About Grace, um, wonderful book, sold 15 million copies, and God used it richly. Um, but I remember particularly a story that he gave, a very short little story, and he says this, one weekend I sat with 10 Jews, 10 Christians, and 10 Muslims in a kind of an encounter group led by author and psychiatrist Scott Peck, who had hoped the weekend might lead to some sort of community or at least the beginnings of reconciliation on a small scale. It did not. The Jews talked about all the horrible things done to them by the Christians. The Muslims talked about all the horrible things done to them by the Jews. And we Christians tried to talk about our own problems, but they paled in contrast to the stories of the Holocaust and the plight of the Pastilian, Pan, Panis, Pas, Palestinian refugees. And so mainly, he said, we sat on the sidelines and listened as the other groups recounted the injustices of history. It was at this point that an articulate Jewish woman who had been active in prior attempts at reconciliation with Arabs turned to the Christians and said, I believe that we Jews have a lot to learn from you Christians about forgiveness. I see no other way around some, log, some of these log jams, and yet it seems so unfair to forgive injustice. I am caught between forgiveness and justice. They hungered each on the side for reconciliation, but had no basis for it happening, for they did not understand the cross. In a church that I served prior to this church, one Sunday afternoon, <clears throat> I went to my office, and I wasn't there very often on a Sunday afternoon. Um, church was locked. The phone system was on automatic answering machine. And so it was always quiet to do some thinking of maybe some next message I was going to prepare or whatever. 
<clears throat> and while I sat there, all of a sudden my phone rang and it had to come through the phone system. How it got into my office, I have no idea because no one was there to send it there. So I picked it up and on the other end, a man said, is this the church? And I said, yes, sir. And he said, are you a pastor? And I said, yes, sir. And he said, I, I need to talk to you. He said, I, I need to be right with God, but I can't be. And I said, well, you know, sir, the Lord can forgive anything. And he said, yeah, but you don't understand. And I said, no, Christ died on the cross for you as well as anyone else. He said, no, you don't understand. And I said, well, help me. What is it I don't understand? And he said, well, I work for the mafia and my job is to kill people, and I've killed a lot of people. And I've just found out that I have terminal cancer, and I'm not going to live long. How do I get right with God? And he wept. I was almost about to weep. And you know how sometimes when you're having those kind of conversations, you're praying at the same time. And I said, God, you've got to help me. I don't know what to tell this man. First of all, I'm kind of afraid that he found me, but, um, <laughs> but what am I going to do? And I prayed, and this thought came to me. I said, sir, I think what you're saying is you're bigger than God. He said, what? I said, you're, you're, you think you're bigger than God. Well, I don't like that. Yes, you do. Because what you're saying is, is you can do something that's bigger than what God can do. You think because of your sins that God is not bigger than that and so big that he can do something about your sins. He thanked me. Wasn't a long conversation. And he hung up and I never heard from him again. He hungered to be right with God, to be reconciled. Stand with me and let's read these passages about reconciliation. <clears throat> Beginning in Matthew chapter 5. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go to be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. For truly I say, you will never get out until you've paid the very last penny. Paul writes in Romans 5, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. In 2 Corinthians 
All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You may be seated. Last week, as Mark unfolded this first word or first section, as we'll see in just a minute, uh, uh, a new part that he begins in the Sermon on the Mount. It started with murder, and it's based on anger. And of all the emotions that God gives us, anger isn't a sin, but it can lead quickly to sin. As a matter of fact, it's the only emotion that is mentioned in the Bible specifically that Satan can use to trap and enslave us in Ephesians 4. It is probably used by Jesus here because it's the first sin created after the fall was the sin of anger. And God tried to get Cain to deal with his anger, but he wouldn't, and helped Satan led him to killing his brother Abel. And so Jesus begins in this way. Now, I want you to think, we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount now for six months. We've got five more months to go. It is the biggest sermon Jesus ever gave and the greatest sermon ever given in the history of mankind. Because in it, Jesus incorporates everything and he gives us some small glimpses of truth that then he knows that the Holy Spirit is going to do and unpack for us in the rest of the scriptures. But he opens those doors for us so that we can see what those things mean. So I want you to turn, if you will, to page 10 in your uh, bulletin and look at the sermon notes. Now, I know most of you don't know that page is usually there, um, but um, usually we don't take many notes, but you've got to remember one of these days you will be given a test. So um, I want to give you a few notes that are already here about where we are in the Sermon on the Mount up to this point. The Beatitudes have been unpacked for us. This is the heart that Jesus wants us to have, to recognize our poverty of spirit, to mourn over our sins, to hunger and thirst after righteousness, because then we will be that way to others. But when we live righteously, we will be persecuted for it. Secondly, then Jesus takes us to our responsibility And we've looked at what it means to be salt and light and to be obedient to the law as Jesus has fulfilled it and then enables us by the Holy Spirit to fulfill the law. 
The salt is how we flavor this world by the goodness and kindness that we extend to a neighbor, to a friend, to someone's hurting. The light is something that shows through our lives when we seek to be intentional about our faith, as we've been talking about being an intentional grandparent to your children. Don't just babysit them. How are you being an intentional Christian to the next generation? The Psalms are filled with that, that our role is to make sure the next generation knows how to walk with Christ. And they're falling by the wayside by the thousands. So we obey. But then Jesus gives six examples of how this looks, how salt, light, and being obedient to the law looks. And he deals with murder, he deals with adultery, divorce, swearing, retaliation, and treating of enemies. And we just now have opened the door last week and today on murder, which comes from the issue of anger. And he opens this door by saying that we need to pursue reconciliation and not hold on to angers. So what is reconciliation? A definition in looking at the language has at least three main ideas to it. First of all, it is to move from hostility and anger to true friendship. Secondly, it is to unite things that are broken or need to be brought back together. And thirdly, it's how we can have harmony with one another. You see, you can sing different notes, but they can blend. We can have differences of opinion, but we don't have to have anger at someone who's different than us. We can't have harmony with those who differ with us. But I want you to see now, in order to grasp what Jesus is meaning by the word of reconciliation, the fact that there is this big picture of what reconciliation is all about. So, one more place, if you would turn back to page two, and I want you to see the profession of faith that we read about who Jesus is, and this is the eternal plan of God that was decided in the councils of the Trinity before the world actually began. This is what Christ would do and who He is. And not going through it all, but just to look at a couple of things. Third line, for by Him Christ all things were created in heaven and earth. Now notice all things. Come down three more lines. All things were created through Him and for Him. And then come down to the last line, for in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. This is the big picture of what I want you to see here. He's the Creator of all things and it's through Him that all things will be reconciled whether on earth. Every wrong ever committed will be reconciled. Everything that happens will be reconciled and set right. But notice he says not only on earth but in heaven. See reconciliation is still going on because that won't be accomplished until Christ returns. But when He returns there is work that He still will do in heaven. 
And that has to do, this is where Satan and the demon angels dwell in heaven. And their reconciliation, their judgment will be reconciled and met at that time. So he is reconciling all things regardless of wherever they are. The work of reconciliation, you might say, is really the final work of salvation. You see, the cross wasn't an end. The cross was a means. Because where God is taking us, this is what He provided for us in order that we can see the finished work of Christ, and His finished work is seen ultimately in reconciliation that we are all made right with God. And not simply right in the sense of justified, but satisfied because of the atonement, but also now made a friend. Now made a beloved child of God, a beloved son or daughter. That's what the reconciliation is all about to get us to that point where we're right with Him. But there's more. Reconciliation has been done by God for us, but please notice in the passage we read in Romans chapter 5, verse 10, for if while we were sinners we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. That's what continuing, His life in us and through us and for us. And we learn to allow Him to work in and through us. That's as we move toward and we transition in more Christ-likeness. Paul says that we are being transformed from one glory to the next of the image of Christ to be like Christ, shall and not only this, but God will also exalt us through the Lord Jesus Christ through whom we now have received this reconciliation. So therefore, just as through through one man's sin entered the world and death now this freedom has been given to us in Christ. But he goes on to say, we have been given this ministry of reconciliation. And then Paul expands that for us in the Second Corinthians passage where he says, Christ gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not uh, not counting their trespasses against them. And He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we're ambassadors for Christ as through as though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So, what is He saying here? Why is He telling us, well, we have reconciliation? Uh, Why is He saying to be reconciled? Because it's an ongoing process. Yes, in our position 
in Christ and what He's done for us, He has reconciled us, but we are still living in a fallen world and we therefore are fallen persons and we still sin. See, what do you think is Christ's work of intercession for in heaven? It's for us still as we wrestle through living in a fallen world and still find ourselves in sin. He doesn't hold against us. There's no condemnation. Listen to what Kent Hughes, a pastor and former pastor in Wheaton, said, humanity's condition is terrible, but God's reconciling purpose is to present you holy in His sight without blemish and free from accusation. While the Scriptures paint the darkest possibility for man apart from Christ, they also give us the highest noblest vision of man known to any religious conception anywhere. When one is reconciled to Christ, he or she will be presented before Him as holy without blame and beyond reproach. This person is a co-heir of Christ's promises and will remain eternally glorious and holy. If we have been reconciled this is our position before Him right now. And it will be increasingly true as, we, as our life grows into His image. You see, reconciliation is more than forgiveness. It is more than just being freed from the enslavement of sin. But rather it brings us into this favorable friendship with God and Christ. It never ceases. See, Christ cleanses us not just so that we are, not that He wants us forgiven, but He wants us. You see the difference? He doesn't just want us forgiven, He wants us. He wants a friendship with us. He wants a relationship with us. And he wants that to continue. Now, let's look back then at this urgency of Christ. Paul says, be reconciled, as I've said. It's a continuing work. Because we really don't understand this depth of sin. Calvin says that we're unaware of the 100th part of sin that clings to us. Martin Lloyd-Jones went on to say, you will never make yourself feel you are a sinner because there is a mechanism in you or us as a result of sin that will always be defending you against every accusation. We are all on very good terms with ourselves. That's an understatement, isn't it? We can always put up a good case for ourselves even if we try to make ourselves feel that we are sinners, we will never do it. There's only one way to know we're sinners, and that is to have some dim glimmering conception of God and His holiness. In other words, we don't feel the weight of our sin because of our sin. And therefore, that's why even while we were sinner enemies, God had to do the reconciling. 
He had to set things right. Even the Apostle Paul said, I don't, I don't know what I do. I don't always do the things I want to do. And I find myself sometimes doing things I don't want to do. See, Paul recognized the fact that, yes, I'm saved and I have all this in Christ, but I still have a sin nature that's there. It's no longer my master because of the cross. It doesn't have to enslave me, but it's always there tempting me. So, the Holy Spirit, when He prompts us that we have an unreconciliation with a brother or a sister, He says, act quickly. See, the reconciliation is what Christ died for. It's His hunger to see you right and in fellowship with the Father. It's His very nature to to see and hate our sin and the disharmony or division that it causes because He wants us to enjoy what it is to be holy and blameless before the Father. That's His hunger for us. To refuse to be reconciled is to put ourselves in a self-imposed prison of no joy and no peace. You see, the urgency is not in Christ's words, for the other person. The urgency is actually for us because He wants us to have that joyous friendship and fellowship with the Father. So, how would we put this to work? Three things. I want you to think really deeply in this passage, particularly the Colossians passage, how great your reconciliation with God is. How much He desires for you. He doesn't need anything, but He wants us to enjoy everything we possibly can enjoy. That's the deep part of it. The width part of it, go wide. Realize that the ministry of reconciliation is not only Godward, it's also manward. And so, Jesus lived as a man to show us what a life of constant reconciliation was all about. By the kindness and goodness and the way He lived and what He showed to people. He's the one that touched the person who no one else would even come close to because He brought that leper into reconciliation of being loved. He's the one who told the trafficked woman that she was no longer under condemnation. Go your way and sin no more. He's the one that said, visit the lonely. Pay attention to the widow, the widower. He's the one that saw a funeral coming down the road and went over to the, to the mother of this son who had died her only son, she was a widow, and he's the one who loved her and brought her son back to life. You see, Jesus is the one who was reconciling all things, not simply our sinful relationship with God, but also all things that are broken, that are disharmony, that are divisions in every possible way that he could do so. A friend of mine just told me that 
he it was a sad story. He said a, a member of our church whose parents lived in another place and um, her father had died and and he just he said, well, I'll give your mom a call. And he did. And she thanked him so much for remembering her. And then she said, he said, broke my heart. She said, you're the only person that has called me and wept with me. Wow. There is so much reconciliation that we can do in so many areas. You see, kindness reconciles sadness. It reconciles loneliness. It reconciles hopelessness. This is the heart of Jesus which He desires for us. So, He says, be urgent about it. When you sense that the Spirit is working, don't deny the Spirit and go and do something about it. And that's our final step which then comes from these two illustrations that Jesus gives about dealing with anger in the sense that you've got something wrong with another person. See, ask yourself, who do I resent? Who has wronged me? Who has hurt me? It's so easy for us to say, well, I just let bygones be bygones. But Jesus says, no, no, be gone, go, do something about it. Now, we know that when we go to someone like this, it doesn't always work out perfectly, does it? But you see, that's not the point. The point for reconciliation is for your benefit. If the other person can join you and have harmony, then the ultimate reconciliation has occurred. But it's more important that you're reconciled with God because you've reconciled it. You see, if you're caught up in resentment, then you are actually in danger of great sin. But you're also destroying your own peace because it's all you can think about. You're destroying your own joy because of that. It'll stay right there, won't it? And Jesus wants you to be free from that because that's what reconciliation does. So please remember that when we understand deeply that Jesus is all about bringing everything ultimately completely together, every broken thing will be mended and there will be harmony between all who are believers in Christ. But it's up to us. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Amen. Let's pray. Great and wonderful God, how we thank you that you have provided something for us we could never have provided for ourselves. And in so doing, you have provided the power and the ability from you to do what you've asked us to do, and that is to bring the ministry of reconciliation to those around us but mainly to our own soul because you so hunger for us to be in harmony with you. We love you, Father. We thank you for providing that by Jesus through his death on the cross that we might be your favorable sons and daughters. 
In Christ's name we pray. Amen.